So look, thank you so much for um, being willing to have this conversation. Um, just as a little bit of background, and for anyone who's listening into this, uh, uh, this series is kind of private conversations made public, really. And it's my excuse to be able to approach people like you and go, hey, would you have a conversation with me? I'm, and this one was sp was specifically, and it's usually people who've just come up in my in my life. And I'm working on a philosophy project right now. And I started digging into your work on what's generally downward causation, but you call it realization, I believe now, but yep. um, that, um, which was fantastic and really, really helpful for what I'm working on. And then I also saw that as well as being a eminent mathematician and physicist and all of that, that you were a Quaker. And part of what I'm working on is bringing together for my own sake, as well as what I think is needed generally, uh, a, a deeper understanding of spirituality with a scientific understanding of, of the nature of the world and how they can possibly fit together because they fit together in my actual experience. So how the hell do they fit together in my understanding? So I thought, God, wouldn't it be great if I could uh, talk with you? And I had a feeling that David Lorimer, who I have um, know from the Scientific Medical Network and who I've spoken to also in this series, would, would um, probably know you. And of course he did. And here we are. Uh, and yeah. where I'd like to jump in and then just see where we just go, really, George, to see how that okay. pans out, um, is my own, where everything comes from for me is a kind of really simple human question, I guess, which is we're having this experience. Um, we've both been exploring it in our different ways for decades. What is it? What is this? This, 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 what is this, what is existence? What is the universe? What is life? What is, what is happening to us? And what should we do with it? And I, I, I just want to, uh, to ask you what you've made of it. What do you, what do you think it is? That's a slightly generic question. <laughs> well, it is, it is a deliberately open, but I guess I'm, I guess I'm coming at it from that sense of look, you know, as well as being all of those things that, that I've mentioned that you, your achievements, you're also George who's alive and gonna die and I'm Tim who's alive and gonna die. And the fundamental thing I have is I wake up every morning and hear this is happening. And you've studied it on, in ways that I just haven't, I don't understand even not, not in the way that you do in terms of physics and so forth. And yet you also have obviously have a, a different sensibility about the nature of life as well. So what, what, what is your sense of the thing we're experiencing? Um, well, what are we experiencing? We're experiencing a search for meaning, uh, as many people have said. Um, in fact, we, <coughs> we, we have... Um, I've, I've been spending quite a lot of time looking at neuroscience issues recently. And um, Jörg Panksepp uh, has studied the way the emotional brain relates to the rational brain for many, many years. And there's a set of hardwired primary emotional systems in our brain. And the fundamental one is one called the seeking system and, and which we share with all the other uh, mammals. And, the seeking system is basically an emotional, um, an affective system, which 
that drives us to search for meaning to understand the world around us. And um, <clears throat> it's it, infants do this when they're trying to interact with their mother. They're trying to understand what is the mother saying to me. And this is what drives the, under, the language. It, 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 drive, it drives language. Um, <clears throat> Um, Viktor Frankl has this whole thing about the search for meaning is the, is the central thing in our lives. And um, what, what, what the, so this, this is hardwired into us together with a series of other primary emotional systems, which it's interesting to talk about. But it, it's understanding meaning is, is, is a key thing in survival because if, if, if you're going to understand what's happening. You've got to understand the meaning, what's going on. You've got to be able to predict the brain as a prediction machine, which enables us to try to um, <clears throat> predict what's going to happen and thereby decide what we're going to do to it. But what is very, very important in all of this is that the, 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 there's three parts to the brain, the triune brain. There, there's the, um, <clears throat> the reptilian brain, the mammalian brain and then the neocortex, which is stuck on top of this. And um, they interact with each other, but they're, they're each doing their separate thing in some sense. They, they're stacked on top of each other. And a lot of life is um, an attempt to balance the emotional needs with uh, intellectual needs. Uh, um, and, but on top of this is a layer of values, ethics, and meaning, telos, the search for meaning and purpose. And a lot of people out there confuse us, psychologists tend to confuse us, they tend to, uh, <clears throat> to, to um, confuse ethics and, and, and emotions, sort of if it feels good, then it has to be good, which is simply wrong. Um, <laughs> now, what is very important is, if you ask, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, um, where does <clears throat> morality come from? I am a moral realist, and I think that's very important. I think it's extremely important to be able to say that certain things are evil as a matter of fact. And now um, <clears throat> it's very interesting. There's a, a divide between the people who are moral uh, uh, relativists and, and, and a lot of people are moral relativists without really understanding that that's what they are. Um, can you can you just say can you just say what you mean by the the because uh, that's a really strong interesting thing when you said it things are evil as a matter of fact. What what's yeah. the fact uh, word mean in there? Well, um, I want to be able to say that um, that the Holocaust was evil and mm -hmm. that is simply a statement, which. Um, you, which, which, uh, you, you can't prove it in some uh, scientific or philosophical sense. You either accept it or you don't. It's, it's something that you have to recognize. But what is interesting is that quite a number of philosophers who are not of a religious bent also agree that there is moral realism out there. In fact, David Chalmers did a survey and something like 60% of philosophers, greed, and moral realism. Um, and, but what is very important here is to distinguish which something which psychologists, social scientists tend not to do. You've got to distinguish morality and ethics, okay? 
ethics is what an individual or a group see as their um, way that they uh, should behave. Morality is the way that we should behave. And ethics is a imperfect reflection of morality. So if, if morality is genuine, if, if there's real morality, then um, different societies, different peoples, different individuals may be closer or further away from what is the real moral evil. Now, if, if one is a, is, is, a, is a relativist, then all you can say is, well, which um, Hitler and his group, that was their social understanding. And you can't say it was evil. All you can say is that's the way that they saw it. Um, apartheid was the way that the Afrikaans church saw it. Uh, Trump and his followers, you know. Um, I so, think, so, so are, I think are you, you saying... I think you don't have a moral life unless you can say something as evil as a matter of fact and should be resisted or fought as a matter of fact, but because it's evil as a matter of fact. Uh, well, I, yeah, I mean, I certainly have a lot of sympathy with all of the things you've called e evil and would certainly agree with them. And, and um, so there's lots of things which come up. I, I, I'm trying to understand... Um, there's a difference, isn't there, between saying, uh, I think that this is evil from the perspective I've arrived. I, it, the relativism, I agree with you completely, is, is disastrous. Yeah. I'm not, I, 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 but I'm just trying to understand the fact bit. I mean, it's attractive to me, but I want to know what you mean by that. In what way is it a fact? What, what is it that it's about the nature of the existence, which makes it well, okay, in, in order to um, understand this, it's best to backtrack a little bit um, to the nature of the universe. The universe That's a got, good idea. Let, I think everything has to start there, really. Okay. The universe has got physical stuff in it, particles, fields, and so on. Yeah. Okay, now, the, 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 the materialists try to say that that's all that there is, and this is simply false. Yeah. Um, thoughts uh, have causal effects. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and, and a, a, a way to look at that is, for instance, to ask yourself, what is a book? Um, is a book a uh, thing made of paper and print and so on? And well, the thing is, is, is um, I've got sapiens sitting here in front of me. Mm. If it's printed in a different type of font, is it still the same book? Well, yeah, yeah it's the same book. If it's an audio book, is it the same book? If it's electronic book, is it the same book? If you start thinking about that, you realize that the concept of the book is an abstract thing which is realized in different forms. That abstract thing has got causal power. For instance, you can get a textbook on physics or you can get the Bible or you can get uh, a set of, a, 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 a law book or whatever. Well, one of the interesting ones is the rules of chess or something like that. Yeah. The rules of chess are abstract, but they have causal power. So, so okay. Brilliant example. Brilliant. Okay. That's brilliant. So, so my, my ontology in this is the following, that the material stuff which we see in each of our rooms is real. It's real at the atomic level, at the macro level, it's all real. Um, if anything can be shown to have a causal effect on that, then that must also be real. Otherwise, you've got an uncaused effect. So for instance, the rules of chess are real, 
there are abstract things and, and they have causal power. Now that, that does away with materialism at one stroke. It is not true that only material things exist and have causal power. So abstract things exist. Okay, now, and, now mathematics is a particularly interesting one. And what is the ontological nature of mathematics? Is it a human invention or is it something real? And this is an old debate, but any serious mathematician believes that mathematics exists out there independent of the human mind. And this is a mathematical uh, realism. And Roger Penrose is an example. Um, um, uh, Andrew Wilds is an example. All serious mathematicians, all the people who study the distribution of prime numbers, they're not yeah. inventing them. Yeah. They found them. Yeah. The, yeah. the ancient Greeks discovered that the square root of two is irrational. They didn't want to discover that. In fact, they killed people because they <laughs> didn't want to discover it. <laughs> so, <Whoa. laughs> so, so there are, there are, um, <clears throat> there are realities which are abstract realities. And the best way to describe it is to say they inhabit a platonic space. There's an underlying platonic space. Now, can that platonic space affect the world? And the answer is yes. For a long time, philosophers said, well, even if they exist, platonic spaces, so what, they can't affect the world. Well, they can affect the world. They affect the world by, via the human mind. Uh, and for example, the number pi has been discovered and it's used by engineers to create things which which works. So the number pi is a rational thing. Can I, can I just, I just want to just ask you to clarify, when you say it exists in a platonic space, George, I love everything you've said, by the way. I mean, so beautifully clear and succinct and resonate with it completely. Um, but when you say it exists in a platonic space, where does that e exist for you? Is, is that something which is like atemporal? It's always there. Where did it come from? Where's it's, what's it's, its genesis? What? It's, it's atemporal. Um, where does it come from? I, I can't tell you. I can't okay. tell you where mathematics comes from. But it, is a, it has existed since the beginning of time, since before humans existed. The fact the square root of two is irrational was true in the very early universe before any human. It will be true in the far future when, when humans being gone. It's just a mathematical fact, which is a truism independent of human life and knowledge. All intelligent people everywhere in the universe will yeah discover that if, now, if we get the chance i'd like to come back to that because actually as it happens i didn't anticipate we talk about that although you, as a mathematician i should have done uh, that you would talk about that uh, because this is something i'm particularly been working on just this week but i really want uh, i didn't want to interrupt your flow so please go on about the fact of evil okay. right now there's two things again one must distinguish the mathematical world of mathematical truth and human knowledge of that and we yep. don't have two different words for that the one is so people say, but mathematics has changed over time. Mathematics hasn't changed over time. The human understanding of mathematics has changed yep. over time. Like yep. We didn't know about the square root of two until so many thousand years ago. Ever since then, we do. So it's, it's exactly the same as morality and ethics. The, the human understanding is one thing, and the timeless eternal thing is another thing. Now, the second ah. thing is that philosophers have said, uh, but you can't understand. How, how can it affect the human mind? Paul Churchland has written a wonderful book about this. He's a neuroscientist philosopher in California, and it's called Plato's Camera. And it's a wonderful <laughs> book, which talks about how the neural network of the mind 
is, is structured to recognize patterns and to enable us to undertake the kind of logical reasoning which leads us to understand the existence of these abstract realities. And so that link between this abstract space and, and what happens in the world is given by the human mind or other intelligent minds. And it causes them, as I say, to have effects, for instance- so, so, Sorry, sorry, George. Are you yeah. saying that, you, are you saying that one plus one equals two as an archetype, as something which is just mathematically atemporally yeah. there, is on, a, is on the same, is the same as the Holocaust is evil? Uh, well, it's it's parallel. It's it's parallel. Um, it's 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 an analogous thing. Is that in ma I'm, I'm using mathematics because I regard that as uncontentious. Okay. Yep. The, the mathematical truths are mathematical truths. Every competent world-class mathematician knows that. They're exploring what exists out there. Paul Churchland in this book has given the way that the mind discovers it via the, the neural network structure of the mind. We learn to argue rationally. We learn to understand this platonic world. Our understanding changes with time, the platonic world doesn't. I'm suggesting that that's an exact parallel to what happens with ethics and morality. <clears throat> the morality is out there, timeless, eternal thing, which has been there since the beginning of the universe. It will always be there. And the thing about this, the way you, uh, the, the, the test for this is if we could talk with mathematicians in Alpha Centauri, would they know that the square root of two is irrational? answer is yes. If we could talk with ethicists up there, would they agree about the nature of morality? And so what I have to do, of course, is to make some comment about what is the nature of morality. And there you enter into a whole, I'm, I'm now going out on a limb, but this is the way that I see it, um, that um, morality is not a rule-based thing. Uh, the attempts yep. to capture morality in, in a set of rules is always going to fail. And yep. uh, in my view, the nature of morality is what I call kenosis, which is, <laughs> you, you know the word. I, I've written many, my best-selling book is on it. So that's yeah. the only way. So, so yeah. kenosis is, is the nature of deep morality. And, yeah. and uh, actually interesting, John Templeton. So John Templeton wrote a little book called Agape Love, showing how all the world's major religions recognize kenosis giving up on behalf of the other as deep morality. Yeah. The Muslim religion, um, the Jewish religion, all of them, all the major world religions. What you have to distinguish there, every world religion has got what I would call the spiritual wing and the imperial yeah. wing or whatever you like to call it. Imperial's good, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, so every world religion has got the branch which is uh, engaged in power and and and, yeah. and and corruption and all the rest of it and um but every major world religion also has a spiritual wing which recognizes kenosis um as 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 the basis of morality and so my and that's because of the transformational power of morality as, as shown by mahatma gandhi martin luther king and other people like that mm. um it, it's it's in many ways it's central to a lot of the Quaker understanding, and um, it's 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 based in the basic idea that if you want to transform a situation of hostility into a situation of peace, uh, you can try and do it by buying more and more bombs and guns so that you are that doesn't get you peace. 
The way you do it is by changing an enemy into a friend. That is the deep nature Beautiful. of morality. Beautiful. That is just so <laughs> eloquent and so perfectly put. And, and, and you, you do that by breaking down their understanding of you, by reaching into them, by giving up on behalf of them at your cost. And there is no guarantee it will work. Uh, but, and of course, this is the core of the spiritual, of the Christian religion. I was going to say, George, you've just stated Christianity to me in its most essential form. Yeah, but which, which of course is not the way it is practiced by many, um, by the majority. Uh, it, it always strikes me that the, the most, probably the most radical and outrageous sentence that's ever been said is love your enemies. Yeah, and, and this and, is... The, the, this is uh, anyhow. Um, this has been denied by Christians throughout the ages, and so on. Uh, I'm always uh, delighted that the Quakers are one of the few branches of Christianity which have never murdered and tortured in the name of a loving God. I know, and and I was very drawn to them when I was younger, and we used to go a lot when I was exploring all of this. So there's so much in what you've said that I want to pick up on. But um, I mean, the, the, the thing about the gnosis, and, and it really reminds me of, of Paul, that kind of idea that, that what Christ has come, the Christianity is replacing the law with love. And yeah. that, that's the, the yeah. it always feels like, like, it's like when I bring up my kids, it always felt like when, I, when they didn't understand just how to be kind, yeah. I needed a rule. But once they got it, I didn't need a rule. It was because I couldn't, the rule was only ever going to work sometimes. And what I was looking for them was to get it. And it feels like that's the, that's what we're trying to do with, 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 with how we act. But I want to, sorry, go on. I, I want to question about a few things. So, so just, just like mathematics is timeless, eternal, unchanging, this would be, um, <clears throat> similar that throughout the universe the advanced spiritual creatures would have the same understanding because they so, would... so i think i think that's the thing I'm, i want to dig into and and question um that um although although i want to arrive at the same place as you i've got a slightly different route i think so and i'll just try and say it really really quick if i can which is that an idea which is a, the, the the idea which really is I've been exploring is this is this modern new relatively new idea of evolutionary emergence and it seems very powerful to me that yeah. we now live in a universe which has emerged evolved and what I love about your work as it goes it's not the just you know doesn't you can't reduce it to the lower levels all of it is real including this non-spatial imaginal level of the psyche where you and I are having this conversation in two different right. places in the world. Yeah. And yeah. all of it is real. All of it is information on different levels. All of it has causal power. All of it is interacting all of the time. Yes, correct. So the thing which I've been exploring, because in terms of like what you're saying about number, is it feels like what you have there is almost like we have this idea of there's quantity and quality, like they're different things, but it feels like it's just primal. It's like foundational relationships, which are expressed in these what we call mathematics is an is a language which which digs into those primal relationships and when i look at say like the gnostic tradition or the kabbalah or the, uh, the taoist tradition you've got that you know the one becomes two the two becomes three the three becomes the ten thousand things all of that that idea of emanation it's all very mathematical 
actually the Kabbalah becomes the you know ten and the, all of that, and so that that actually it feels like number can be both atemporal and yet still emergent. It's like once you've got this idea of something which is nothing but can become everything is emerging as uh, something which is but has no qualities is taking on qualities. Um, is it is it possible then to see number both as atemporal but not like hanging there who knows how and and is it possible then to go for something which is more like um, Lee Smolin's idea of the of a number being invoked that you can you can have like the rules of chess you can the the the, the basic algorithms could arrive but it doesn't mean that everything's there it doesn't mean that it, it becomes something which will itself flesh itself out just like the universe has and then if that's the case, you don't have this kind of platonic realm just hanging there. You actually have something which is also evolutionary, but just atemporal, which will give birth to, to quantum possibilities, which are also mathematical, which will become actualities, which will become eventually life and then become this non-transmaterial realm of psyche, all of which is then interacting. And that the idea then of good and evil in the way that we've been talking about it, would be also an emergent property. And that what and that it's all about the and what the gnosis does is it takes us to the most emergent place. It makes you realize you're the whole universe, actually, which is an incredibly emergent thing. It's taken billions of years to get the universe to the point where it can become conscious of itself through us. And at that point, you're tapping into, oh, what is good is what is beneficent for everything. Well, it's a it's a that's the love the agape the the big love which embraces everything but that wasn't there at the beginning that's arisen like consciousness as we've gone along and is and is still emerging well um there, there's two kinds of things underlying what you've been saying one is emergence emergence is based in the laws of physics which i haven't mentioned and there's a whole thing about the laws of physics um are they descriptive or are they prescriptive? And that, that's a whole big philosophical discussion. Um, but, uh, and why are they based in mathematics? Why can they be described so well by mathematics? And there's a whole huge literature on that. But at a certain level, we can just accept that the laws of physics exist and they are timeless. The, the basic assumption of science and cosmology is that the laws of physics do not change. Um, there are some theories in which things like the constants of nature change, but then they do so according to a higher level law, and that higher level law doesn't change. So the, 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 the basic thing that science has to have <coughs> to study cosmology is an assumption of an unchanging set of laws. Of I'm, I'm not, I'm I just, a, I don't, don't think I want to, I don't feel that myself. I don't think that I, I, I would be open to the idea like that that Rupert Sheldrake would explore or Charles Sanders Peirce or, or, or Lee Smolin, who I just mentioned, that there is a way of understanding law as itself uh, the wrong analogy, that, that it's developing as habits or algorithms, we might say today, that, 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 that the whole thing is emerging and, and, and in the loosest sense of that word, so that, so that new things are arising based on old things, like, just like what's happening right well, now. No, no, new, new, new things are arising based on old things, but they can, they're doing so on the basis of a set of laws which are not changing. Well, they're not changing now, but no, doesn't well, mean... Yeah, well, okay, well, we, 
we'll, we'll probably have to have a disagreement on this, but okay. Okay. If, if laws of physics are changing, they're changing according to some set of laws, which then becomes a meta law, and that meta law is unchanging. If, 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 if there's no kind of consistency framework to give consistency, then it's not clear how you can, can get anything ordered at all out of the system. Well, um, what, what, I mean, what, what about, like I was exploring that if you've got, if you've got mathematics or what we study with mathematics, like archetypal relationships arising in an emergent process <laughs> someone's very keen <laughs> uh, then then you're st it's coming into being that those those those, those uh, regularities are emerging through uh, the information which is accumulated the, well, the yeah, more yeah, the past yeah, but, the more yes, rigid but, they become that information is accumulating on the basis of the law of physics. The simplest one is uh, very, very early on, there weren't particles, there weren't particles at all. There was just radiation. The particles yeah. came into existence. Then uh, a bit later, um, uh, hydrogen, helium, and uh, lithium came into existence. A bit later on, galaxy came into Each of them builds on the previous one. The possibility they will come into existence is because of the previous one. For instance, yes. heavy elements were built up in the interior of stars. They were spread through space. Second generation, life could come. So the reason they could come into existence was because of this previous history. But all of this previous history was based in the laws of physics. It's not the laws of physics that are changing. It's the context which is changing. The so, context so is so if you have to allow more and more complex things to exist i completely get get what you're saying and, and uh, so if so for you this platonic realm which just exists would that also contain the laws of physics as well as yeah. mathematics uh, and yeah, the well, idea of the good to which there, we're going there are different platonic realms there's the one for mathematics we could have an interesting further discussion on that which i'll get to in a minute there's there's the one for the laws of physics and there's the ones for um, morality. Now, there's... And do these arise from God for you as a Christian, George? Is that the... Uh, uh, I, I would, if I'm pushed, I would say yes, that this is... And God means? The un underlying force, whatever creative power. Okay. Uh, intelligent? Oh, obviously. Okay. So, so for you, in your metaphysical schema, you have something which is, a, is, is, just, is there, which is intelligent. It's yeah. giving rise to a platonic realms, various platonic realms, which are fixed and forever. The platonic, the platonic realms underlie, the, 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 the one with the laws of physics underlies the existence of the universe. You still have to have something which causes the universe to be instantiated. The creation event, uh, which science cannot describe, dis despite what some of my colleagues try to do. My colleagues try to describe the creation event in terms of the laws of physics, but the laws of physics only exist in a physical sense once once the thing is. No, the laws of physics may exist before, but they they apply in a given space time, and until you've got a space time, the laws of physics haven't got anything to apply to. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so I, I think what, what, what a, the why I, the why I have ended up, I've, I've probably been close to what you're describing most of my life, apart from this last period where I've moved away from it. And the reason I moved away from it was wanting to explore what seems like a really elegant idea, which is this, the, the, the idea that the emanation and evolution can move together. And that if you see this, the one becomes two, the two becomes three, the ten, three becomes the 10,000 things. If you take John Wheeler's idea of look, the basic, most basic thing is a bit, is information. Well, there it is. That's the description of that coming into being, which can give rise to a mathematical level of reality, which is now there. And that's archetypal and atemporal. And it's, so it is what it is, just as you're describing, which gives rise to probabilities, which are there but they're different, which is setting up habits of nature, as, as Rupert Sheldrake would say, or Charles Sanders Peirce, which may have been established in previous universes, which is why they're already there, but, but that's the basic principle. Then suddenly you haven't got to go, there's something, we don't know what it is, it already exists, it's intelligent, it set up these things, and then the universe came, which always feels like you've explained one mystery, but a bigger one. Well, um, we... I, th I think one must be very careful about trying to claim that order came out of nothing, one, one, zero. There has to be this pre-existing thing to, to, to shape the order that exists. And as I've said, as, as things once, once the universe is instantiated, it, it, it creates conditions from which higher and higher levels of complexity can arise. But um, if, if you do John Wheeler's higgledy-piggledy thing, it's not clear how you get, ever get any order at all. And his it from bit thing has been tried. Many, many people have tried to make something serious out of it. And basically, they have failed. Um, uh, the, 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 many of my colleagues have tried to sort of give a, uh, a foundation like that to physics, and particularly to quantum physics. And... It's, it's a very beguiling kind of picture, but I think I can say that from a physics viewpoint, it has not actually succeeded. So just making a massive jump because I don't want us to get stuck in one area, but um, so that creator God, so I should just tell you this because it might just help the conversation. Um, one of the shifts that's happened for me is I kind of moved God. I've experienced god all my life and and therefore take it very very seriously um but found it difficult to equate with this creator of this universe that seemed to be take so long to develop and involved crazy extinctions and dinosaurs and all that and it just felt like i don't what's all that about the 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 jump for me was going oh maybe maybe this this being of love that the gnosis opens up this super intelligence which i feel around me and in, in, I'm in it, is not where it starts, but where it's going. It's, it's that the universe is that, it is, a, it is learning, it is an intelligent system. It doesn't come from an intelligence. It is the evolution of intelligence, which, which is coming into knowledge of itself as something which is as a transcendent intelligence. So that what we're experiencing in that gnosis is as God, as a being of love, is, is what the universe is flowering into rather well, than... Well, when you use the word universe, what do you mean by the word universe? <laughs> uh, I mean 
everything which exists. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm not, uh, I think one must be very careful. I'm, 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 firstly, I believe in intimations of transcendence, which is something which you are, are referring to, and I, I believe in those. Um, and I think those are giving one an, some hint as to what the underlying thing is. Um, but I don't think the universe per se has got um, intelligence of any kind. The universe per se is galaxies speeding. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No. Okay. Let me. Sorry. Let me clarify that. I'm not saying this isn't some sort of. Um, I'm not saying the universe is conscious or. I. I just mean intelligence much more like in, in the the way the words used in artificial intelligence. Like there's there's intelligent systems which exist on all these different levels, which in us is is in, is conscious. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that the yeah, universe yeah, itself there's, is. There's, there's is conscious. intelligent system certainly. Uh, the, sorry, I didn't, didn't want to mislead you. Yeah, yeah. So, but, and um, I think what is important there is to go to something which you started referring to early on is th there's the question then, well, how do intelligence systems function? And this is this whole issue of emergence and reductionism and so on, which I've been fighting for about 15 years now. And the, the, what, what is very important here where I fight some of my physics colleagues is they think that everything is determined by physics mm. and that uh, the, the, the brain or the thoughts that we're having are just um, fluff on it, which, which that the brain does not have any real causal power. Um, it's, it's all epiphenomena. And I think this is basically and importantly wrong. I can't even see how it even begins to make sense because and I've fought with various people about that. So the, the question which I've put to some of them is, so do you really believe that the words I'm saying at, saying at this moment were written into the initial date of universe? And some of them seriously say, yes, I believe that. And I just oh. gape at them in, in amazement and say, <laughs> you are raising a far bigger problem. I have to, I, I have you to tell thought. you, George, you know, it, 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 I... As somebody who spent his life writing about spiritual traditions and all the rest of it, um, you know, when I hear people accuse spirituality of being woo-woo, and then I look at that idea, I just think, look, that's the most woo-woo idea I can imagine. It just means anything well, I say is not my own. It's like your opinions aren't yours. Everything's just... Well, it's, well, it's, first, firstly, there, there's many, many scientific reasons why this is absolute bloody nonsense. But, but the real issue, they just don't seem to realize. They don't seem to realize they haven't accounted for. So who wrote into the initial date of the universe the words that I'm saying to you I now? know, I know. <laughs> who, yeah. who, who wrote it? They, they, Where the hell did that come from? It's, it's a form of intelligent design. But they don't seem to realize. That enormous, in isn't it? I mean, just enormous intelligent design. <laughs> So, so the only thing, the thing which makes sense is that the initial conditions in the universe are such that these growing kinds of complexity emerge, life starts, and we don't know how life started. Uh, but nevertheless, I don't think there's anything supernatural about it. It started by natural processes. Intelligence build up, consciousness came into existence. We do not know how consciousness came into existence. We don't understand consciousness at a deep level. Nevertheless, we, we have it. Um, but what one can then say is that upwards and downwards causation takes place whereby my high level mental activities 
animals, mental activities, um, developmental processes in biology are shaping the way that the physics works. And that's the downward causation. And that's what a lot of colleagues uh, deny. But the, the evidence is there, and it has to be that way. And what they're forgetting, and this is now the really interesting thing, which I'm just writing about at the moment, is that one has to go back to Aristotle's four kinds of causation. And these guys are all stuck on efficient causation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're ignoring material causation and they're more ignoring formal causation and yeah. they're ignoring final causation. But if you take a serious look in the real world, all of those also occur and they are necessary in order that anything specific can happen. The laws of physics are fine, but they don't make anything specific happen. And these other forms of causation do occur, and, and this, this is what actually I'm writing about at, at, this, at, this, at this present time. What? And formal causation is a form of, uh, and material causation are both forms of downward causation. And that, it's very interesting making that specific. Um, <laughs> just come and say hello. This is my wife, Carol, who's just emerged. <laughs> Hi, Carol. My name's Hi, Tim. I'm, nice. I'm in the UK. Lovely to meet you. Oh, nice to meet you too. Are you are you in a snowy road? No, it's it, we, I'm in the southwest, and we had the tiniest flakes come down, and that's it. Okay, okay, all right. I'll leave you to your stuff. Okay, taste of yeah. yeah. Um, so, so no, I, there's a nice example of this, which I think is which I got from Russell Acov, and which is worth talking about. So. The question is, here's an aeroplane flying from London to Glasgow. What's making it fly? So the, the, um, the one cause is because there's a wing and the molecules are impinging on the lower and the higher. And it's shaped so that these go faster than these. So Bernoulli's law gives you a force. And it's, that's why it's flying. It wouldn't fly if that wasn't true. And that's um, the efficient causation. Now, if you, but you can ask yourself, well, OK, that's all very well. but um, there's a second answer to this. It's, it's flying that way because the pilot is sitting at the control and he's opened the throttle. And furthermore, it's flying that way because there's an entry in the uh, timetable which says there'll be a flight at 10 a.m. from London to Glasgow. It wouldn't be flying if that wasn't true either. And then, so you can say, but actually another reason it's flying is because it's designed to fly. And the reason a brick doesn't fly is because it's not designed to fly. And that's a highly non-trivial statement. It cost a great deal of money to design it using uh, engineers and computers and simulations and all the rest. So, so the fact that it's designed to fly, is, it, it wouldn't. And then the top level reason that it's flying is final causation. It's flying because there's some capitalist sitting somewhere who thinks he's going to make money out of it, flying from there to there, and it wouldn't fly. But the point about it is that it wouldn't fly unless all of these were true simultaneously. And the physicist only takes into account the one level. He doesn't I, take into I, account I, the I, other ones, which are all essential in order to understand what's happening in the railways. And that's the basic point which these guys simply get wrong. They've got this tunnel vision in which they're only willing to look yeah. at, the, uh, at the one form of causation, and they just don't take into account the other forms of causation, which undoubtedly do occur in the real world. There's no question. Do you, do you, think, do you think it's a coincidence that people who give their lives to studying physics thinks that physics is all that's real? <laughs> Yes, exactly. uh, it reminds me so much of you know I, I we we all live in our little 
comparative bubbles in some way. And so I spend a lot of time because I've come through a lot of non-dual Advaitic Vedanta spirituality, which is all one. You don't exist as an individual. So I have spent in my, my life a lot of times explaining how it can be all one and you do exist as an individual and that matters which to most outsiders is like, well, that's obvious. And it feels a bit that, I mean, I've loved your work. It's been so helpful to me on um, downward causation. And what you described there was really, you know, just so obvious and clear. But I, I do think, you know, to someone who's, who isn't infected with the idea of determinism, which is, I think, an absurd idea, it, it's like, well, obviously this downward causation, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a kind of a common sense thing that and I see us getting caught in these ideas and then missing out on, well, all of that reductionism just takes away from the thing it's trying to explain, which is this. You see that the physicists have never studied biology seriously. Yeah. If they studied biology seriously, they would understand yeah. that at the molecular level, there's an incredible amount of randomness of stochasticity in biology. And the people who study molecular machines and so on, are molecular machines use stochasticity to obtain biological goals. Uh, and, and there's a whole literature on this, which is perfectly understandable. Um, and developmental biology is, 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 is a downward causation thing. The way that um, development of an embryo through to an adult organism takes place is all downward. It's, it's through positional indicators, chemicals which diffuse morphogens. Um, evolution is downward causation because animals get uh, adapted to an environment. If you shift the environment and the animals change, that's downward causation. Like yeah. at the present time, we're doing this global experiment. We're changing the operating yeah. environment of the yeah. earth and it's changing what's happening in the Great Barrier Reefs. It's causing yeah. heavier snowstorms throughout yeah. the world. It's causing, and, and so on. So, E evolution is without any question a case of downward causation. And incidentally, one of the most ridiculous things is the idea that adaptive selection acts directly on genes. There's no possible way that can happen. Adaptive selection acts on individuals or groups. And from the level of the individual, it, it chains down to the level of genes. But there's, really good no, example. there's no scientific way that yeah. adaptation of an individual can chain down to the level of, of a, a gene, unless you're talking a single cell. That is really good example. Really, really good. Can I, can I, can I, can I jump from there again? Uh, because it's, it's, it's about the same thing, but on a completely different level, which is, um, so we talk about physics and biology there, and then we've got the psyche, we've got this, the soul. Um, so as somebody who, has done so much work in science and as somebody who's a Quaker, you know, some point over the next few decades, uh, Tim and George will be gone. Uh, we will be dead. What's, what, what is that in your, in your philosophy, George? What, what, is, what does that mean? What is death? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I have, we do not know how consciousness, we, we do not know how to solve the hard problem of consciousness despite what some people say. Um, I do know that if my brain, the physical brain gets messed up, my thinking can go wrong. I can, so 
Um, I do know that if there's damage to certain parts of the brain, I will just lose consciousness, kaput, um, go there. So consciousness per se is without question based in brain structure and functioning. Um, one mustn't push it too far, but I do at a certain level like the metaphor of the mind being the software that runs in the hardware of the brain. But nevertheless, this doesn't uh, deal with the issue, the hard problem, how do qualia exist? And of course, one of the most ridiculous things is certain philosophers who run around saying qualia doesn't exist. I mean, this is just kind of mind-blowingly stupid. What, what do you mean by that? Because I think I might be one of those, even though we're probably going to this again, we're, we want to say the same thing from different ways. What do you mean by, by qualia then? Are you talking about um, any thought or are you talking about specifically? No, not thought. No, not the, thought. It's, it's, the, 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 what I'm seeing, my computer in front of me, is, can, is actually I can, qualia. I can see yellow carpet behind you. Yes. I can see a red thing on the wall. That's qualia. Yeah. It's something. It's not a thought. It's it's a. It's, it, it could be. It could be. It could be just the wall, though, couldn't it? That you're seeing. It could be just that when a when an information system like you meets an information system like that, what arises is yellow. That's right, but. I, it, it doesn't matter how it arises. I am seeing it. I am seeing yes, it. You're definitely seeing it. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, carry on, please, uh, if you would. So, okay, we've got, we've got, we've clarified that. So where do you end up with the, do you think that this thing, the psyche, the, the, the soul can exist without the body? Does that, is that credible? And it's very central to Christianity. Yes, it is. Um, I'm agnostic about that. I do not know if that's correct or not. Um, mm -hmm. I would like it to be true, um, mm -hmm. but uh, if I'm pushed, I would say the balance of evidence does not really support it. This is one of the things which is uh, makes me a little uncomfortable about this, the What's It Network, that some of the stuff that they do seems to... <laughs> Sorry, uh, say that again. About makes you uncomfortable about scientific and medical network. Right. The, the Galileo project. Right. Um, doing the kind of work that I'm doing, I have to be, in order to preserve my scientific credentials, I must be really, really careful about what I claim. I, I, I separate out what I claim scientifically. Sure. Absolutely. Philosophically. And what I might Absolutely. try to claim theologically. I, yeah. So I try to be very clear when I'm speaking yeah. in one or other of these domains. Of course. And of I course. keep my scientific studies solid. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the brain has got all sorts of abilities to, to um, trick us, to, to, to make us think things are happening which aren't happening. And my, my colleague Mark Soms is really interesting on this kind of stuff. He studied the way that the brain does stuff. Um, for, 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 for instance, <laughs> um, someone who is uh, some, someone who is wheelbound in a wheelchair and cannot get up off the wheelchair and they've got a brain condition I can't know, anosognia or some title like that and 
they tell themselves that they could get up off it even though they can't. And if they get challenged, well, why don't you get up off of the wheelchair? They say, I decide not to do so. And this is simply false. They cannot do so. And yeah. there's all sorts of the ways in which the brain tricks us mm -hmm. and makes us believe things which are not true. Incidentally, he's just come out with a really interesting book um, on, uh, on, on uh, consciousness um, called The Hidden Spring, The Silent Spring. It's very interesting to read about the source of consciousness. But, but in any case, um, I'm very, very wary indeed of near-death experiences, that kind of stuff. I think that can easily be self-deception. And I think it, I do not so, know how you can prevent yourself. It, doesn't that also apply, though, you know, as somebody who's chosen to build their lives around the very experiences we've been talking about, the gnosis? I'm aware that, you know, I've chosen that, that, you know, it feels like I enter a state where I'm, it feels more real, not less real, all those classic things that been described by people throughout the centuries. And yet, you know, maybe I'm just a mild manic depressive. And when I'm manic, I think the universe is full of love and there's intelligence everywhere and life has meaning. And, and uh, that's just a delusion, another delusion that people suffer and I find it difficult to see mine. Uh, and yet, when I, as an individual, have to go, well, what, are you gonna go down that road? You know, am I like the guy in the wheelchair who's going, I could get up, but I can't, you know, and I, but I choose not to, or is actually there a, another emergent level of experience that we can have as the mystics have been exploring? There, 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 there may be, there may be. Um, I'm going to be very cautious about this. I would like to believe that there is, but I would suspect that the balance of probabilities is that in the end, when the brain stops working, it slides out. It's gone. So the so one of one of the things which, when I said I've, I've been exploring this um, this narrative of of emergence, of evolutionary emergence, as a way of bringing spirituality and science together, yeah, has been like, is it possible? And this is only like an experiment that I'm trying my best to see if I can make sense of it. That's, that's all. I don't know, obviously, but is is it possible to see everything? as this one, I'm experiencing now a process of change where the past arises from the future and the, and the present always contains everything that's ever happened. Is that what existence is? And that therefore it started in the most simple ways, like in the simplest quality that everything has is that it exists, being, to use the old Greek. Is, there's being in the process of becoming. Right? And, that, and that in that level, we've gone from completely different levels of information mathematical, probabilistic, physical, life to psyche. And that, that is it possible that we should take seriously our actual experience of psyche, which is it looks, it, we experience it as a transmaterial level, which can impact the material. I'm, 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 these thoughts have, don't seem to have any material existence. And then is it possible that rather again than the, the traditional idea of spirituality that the soul is eternal and is, lives forever, is it possible that actually it, it itself is an emergent thing, that the universe that has evolved into something, a bit like you said with the metaphor of the software and the hardware, it's developed into information which can exist in its own right. And that those, those realms which you go off into if you meditate or do shamanic practices or take ayahuasca or any of those things, which seem like the bardos, you know, the, the, the heavenly realms, it's this massive imaginal 
levels of existence actually exist because they've emerged from this one, not because they're just always there, but they've they've arisen well, from it. I, I obviously have, and I've stated that I believe that thoughts and so on exist as immaterial things, which have caused a power. Yes, I believe that. Um, certainly, qualia exist um, in some different sense. And of course, the, the paradox in all of this is in the end, the qualia are the only thing that we actually really know exist. <laughs> um, uh, um, so the, this kind of emergence can take place. Once you start using the word eternal, I start getting um, worried about it. <laughs> did I use the word eternal? You did. Oh, I didn't mean, I don't, how did I use it? I don't mean, I don't see anything as eternal. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, if I said that, that was just a mistake. So what I'm suggesting is the opposite of that, that actually that everything which exists, everything which has a quality yeah. has arisen in this process of evolutionary emergence, which is basically the past giving birth to something if, if, more. If everything which exists physically, yes. Everything um, which exists full stop, I would, I, I'm playing with. Even, like well, I said, the, the platonic realms you're talking about themselves are a type of that. They're just a very early type. Well, and no. then the, the later type could be the, 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 the psychic, a bit like, you know, like I exist right now. My computer, as I'm recording this conversation, it exists on the computer and actually the recording is on the cloud. And yeah. doesn't exist on the computer yeah. in the same way the psyches like that. Well, the 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 the, the, the platonic worlds are by definition do not come into existence. They are what they are. They always have been what they have been. They always will be. That is the nature of those platonic worlds, and that is what I will cling to as far as they are concerned. As far as these experiences, yes, they grow in the kind of way that you're saying. They they didn't exist. They come into existence. Yes, I, I, I agree on that. Um, yeah. Well, George, it has been absolutely fabulous to explore this with you and a real honor. I have to say, I should have said that right at the start because I was um, uh, uh, bragging to my daughter who's just at university in St. Andrews that I was going to be speaking with you and listing your many achievements, including your honors from Nelson Mandela and all sorts. Um, and, uh, and so it just felt like when you said yes, I felt like, well, that's, that's such an honor to be able to, to explore ideas with somebody who's explored ideas throughout their life so deeply and, 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 to, and to be able to do that thing you can never do with a book or a video, which is actually come well, back and go, what do you mean by that? There, there, there always is a mystery. I mean, I think that is part of the thing that there is a mystery, there is a limit to what we can know. And part of the thing is to live happily with that mystery, to embrace it, if you like. Um, but for me, it's really, as I said, it's important to keep the scientific part clear, the philosophical part clear, and the, if you like, religious, spiritual part clear, and to decide when I'm talking about those in different contexts. To, to, to yeah, separate yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really respect that. And, and, and one, of the, one of the problems I have as someone who um, has written all my books on spiritual traditions is that it feels like spirituality doesn't is is it doesn't understand rationality as it needs to and that i would like to see a 21st century spirituality which does embrace being able to question and think about things and, and actually um but, but you see i i think that there can be a convergence of spirituality towards 
the kind of morality which I'm talking about. I think there can be a convergence of that. So, so okay. but, but the point about it is the following, is that we're not creating that spirituality, we're recognizing it. It's like okay. we yeah, yeah. create the mathematics, we recognize it. You, you are indeed a Platonist, George, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, you really are. That's that's absolutely Plato in a nutshell. You just so so maybe maybe as a way of saying more on that, but but just to tie our conversation round to where it began, you said right at the start when I asked my impossibly big question, you started talking about how the brain has a propensity to make meaning, to yeah. look for meaning. Correct. What would you say your brain has done with that? What what is the meaning that that you have found in your life experience? <laughs> uh, look, in the end, we've got the big meaning, you know, science, religion, right? but we've got, we've got the local meaning, our friends, relatives, the people we love, the people we enjoy. I, go, I walk up in the mountain here every weekend. I, I, I get wonderful hmm. connections to nature through walking up in the mountain every weekend. One of the things I used to enjoy hugely, I used to fly like planes. I used to fly gliders. And right. um, all of this kind of activity um, gives, gives one meaning in one life. So in, in the end, it comes down to little things. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and I would agree with that, with that reservation. Okay. Thank you for your time, um, you. and uh, it's been a real, a real pleasure.